Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Christmas story. I thank you for the beautiful narratives, for the challenges that are deep embedded within the text. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, for us just to pause today in the chaos of everything else in life and to be able to receive your word may transform our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you read uh, The Daily Walk this week, then you will have learnt and pretty sure that you read The Daily Walk, then you would have read maybe even the introduction to the series of The Daily Walk that I happen to like Christmas a little bit. Maybe I like Christmas a lot. Maybe I like Christmas more than any other season there is in the entire world. Absolutely true. I like it more than any anniversary, more than birthdays, more than... Thanksgiving, more than any celebration there is in the entire world. I really do, and I, I, I'm not, I, I try to like understand why I love Christmas so much. Maybe it's because it's just this huge shift that takes place, and it's this shift where I just, I love the shift that takes place. It's the memories of everything just compiled upon everything else, where everybody is just together with everybody else, layer upon layer of memory upon memory upon it all, and it's this blessing of just goodwill to all the people. Do you kind of get that feeling as well? Goodwill to all the people. I feel like it's just, it's just good. Even for those who do not celebrate it, it becomes contagious, right? I mean, there are people who are just like, ah, oh, I don't want to celebrate Christmas, and, and they just can't resist it. Uh, they try to resist it, and they, they may even say to you, it's, it's a pagan holiday, right? And they're like, ah, oh, bah humbug, you know? Pagan holiday. Seriously, friends, look, you don't have to believe in December 25 being the literal day when Jesus was born, the exact day, the exact time to celebrate that the Savior of the world chose the incarnation as the model to defeat death. I mean, that's just fantastic, right? That the Savior of the world chose the incarnation as this model to defeat death. You just have to enjoy the moment of Christmas, which is what I love about Christmas. It just brings us together, and people just kind of start to be nicer to each other. And, and they're just a little bit friendlier to each other. And I kind of, I kind of like that. I just I kind of like the, the joy of it. People even put lights on their house. I'm like, just keep it on all year round. I don't mind. I mean, I, I know it's bad. I know people get very militaristic about this. It's January 1, and pff, lights all come off, trees all come down. It's, it, it cannot be. We cannot celebrate any more joy now. It's got to be dark and gloomy. It's January 1. But I'm like, why don't we just keep it going? <laughs> you know? Christmas is going to be next year. <laughs> we just keep it going for the year. It's kind of enjoy the season. I know, but it's all right. I, I'm, I'm willing just to enjoy the season at least that much. Anyway, we're going to experience, over the next five weeks, we're going to experience Christmas, and we're going to experience five things over the next five weeks. And these are the five things that I want to kind of experience with you uh, each of these five weeks. Number one, uh, we're going to sing. Um, and Jared Stafford, he, he's uh, leading worship today with our, with our team, and uh, he's chosen a whole series of mix of songs and carols and hymns, and so we're going to sing different songs together, and this is going to be good. It's going to be good for our hearts and souls, and so if you have not got a worship guide, you need to make sure that you have a worship guide, because at the very back of your worship guide, uh, you'll see that there is actually one of our hymns that we're going to be singing today. And for those of you who enjoy singing the parts and can read what these little black dots mean on the lines, um, that will be important to you. Uh, for the rest of you, you'll be like, is that Braille? I don't know. 
I feel like it should be textured. Why doesn't it move? Uh, and the reason why, by the way, you're wondering why it kind of curves around the corner, that's because when I took the picture with my phone, I was leaning. Um, so it's my fault. Uh, I was just kind of like leaning. I should have like had it more direct on top. But anyway, uh, you'll need that. Uh, and so the worship guide is very important. You just put your hand up. Uh, we'll, our deacons or our elders will make sure that you have a copy of the worship guide inside there. But we'll have some hymns inside there. That's important as well. We're going to number two. We're going to explore. And we're going to explore Matthew and Luke and the narrative passages. And we're going to be answering the question, what child is this? What child is this? This week, we're looking, as the video showed, uh, at the shepherds. Next week, we'll look at the wise men. Then we're going to look at Mary. We're going to look at Joseph. And finally, at Anna and Simeon in the temple with the baby dedication. Little side note here. There are some families who, who new to faith, some families that uh, were moving when their children were born, and, uh, and they were moving churches or just transitioning homes. And so when their child was born, they, they actually didn't dedicate them. And, and just things happened, or their church didn't have that practice. So I just want to let you know that on December 23, if for some reason you never dedicated your child when they were like a little baby, but you would like to have your child dedicated, we're going to invite you to join us at that time, and you're welcome to let me know in advance, and we will do a dedication of your children, your baby or your children, together here on December 23, because we will talk, be talking about that and celebrating that together on December 23. Number three, uh, mission gifts. Uh, we often give gifts to each other, uh, but in the next five weeks, I'm going to appeal to you to think about two, at least two mission gifts. And I'm going to give you four options to pick from. I know, this is great. You're like, wow, at least I get options. I know. Two gifts. And we will encourage you to collect those all by December 23. Number four, I'm going to lay a challenge down for you uh, every single week, a Christmas challenge. And it's going to become a new Christmas tradition every year. You'll be like, I can't wait for my next Christmas challenge. I know, it's going to be great. And number five, I'm going to ask you to share. I'm going to ask you to share uh, and tell somebody about Jesus. And you're going to be like, tell somebody about Jesus? He can't, he can't ask me to do that. Everything else was okay. That's, that's impossible. It's okay. You can negotiate with God about that, all right? Uh, just, just you talk to God about it, and the Spirit of God will let you know when's the right time for you to share Jesus with somebody else and who and how and when. But you can just discuss it with God. What I'm asking you to do is to talk to God about it. I know, radical idea. You just have to, you have to say, okay, let's, uh, let's talk about that. Uh, we could discuss that, because some of you uh, may realize that uh, he's been talking to you about it for every day, all your lives. So, uh, here we go. Question number one in your worship guides. Um, turn over to there, question number one, recalibrate questions is this. How do I unpack the story and see both Duplo and Technic insights? Duplo and Technic insights. Well, I'm glad you asked this question. I know, you're thinking, who, who thought of this question? I know I did as well, but, um, but I'm glad you asked this question. And if you were not here earlier in the summer, you're thinking, I don't even understand this question. I don't even understand Duplo or Technic. So, just in case you don't understand, and you're not here earlier in the summer, when I was talking about trying to understand faith, on the table, right next to all the designs, which is a very subtle way to draw your attention to that, table are the Duplo and Technic sheets that explain uh, how to study the Bible. 
how to open them up. Duplo is a very basic method, and Technic is the more complex uh, method of faith development inside there. And it's a great metaphor to be able to do this. But the best way to be able to do this, uh, if you're going for the Duplo understanding, is to, as I suggest, is to start with the daily walk. And what you would do is you would just read the biblical text in different versions. And so that's what you would do. You would take the story that we heard, read today, and you would just read the, st the story in a different version and try to understand it as simply as it is. And this is what happens. Shepherds are on the hill. Mom and dad have a little baby. Uh, they're wrapped up, the little baby, all nice and warm. The angels sing Handel's Messiah before he was born, before he wrote it, because it's inspired. Uh, and the shepherds find baby Jesus. The shepherds are amazed and text, before texting happened, uh, to their entire social network, and they leave amazed. And that, my friends, is the story in a nutshell. It's amazing, and they leave, and you can write so many stories based on that because that is what the entire story is all about at the duple level. It's fantastic, and it's heartwarming, and I love it. And I can read that text over and over and over again and just enjoy it in different versions of the Bible and listen to the story acted out and watch movies depicting it and watch storybooks and artwork in museums that just kind of like picture scenes of shepherds or scenes of Mary and Joseph and paintings and just in awe and nativity sets cradled and drawn and carved and I'm just in awe of that. And that is Duplo. Basic, beautiful, inspiring to me. But the technique, the technique is kind of like the technical, kind of like, ah, oh, I didn't even know that was inside the text there, for instance. And to get there, you would have to do a little bit more work. You would probably have to read some parallel texts. You would have to read a few commentaries. You would have to read some texts elsewhere in the Bible. You would have to read all of the daily walk. At the end of the daily walk, you would have to read all the research sections. And suddenly, the story takes on a new edge. Joseph and Mary, they have a tense marriage. Why? It's not his child. It has not been accepted. There are consequences even though he kind of accepts it. The story will not go unheard of. It's a small community. People are gossiping. Everybody knows everybody's business. Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, she has a baby herself. This baby is John the Baptist. This is going to be his cousin. This guy here, John the Baptist, when he was inside the womb at the same time that Jesus was inside the womb, when they arrive in the room there, they recognize each other. And in that moment when they recognize each other, they're just like amazed that the babies knew each other inside the rooms. Crazy, beautiful. They needed that. They needed that. With another example, when you look at the Technic, they arrive in the town. There's not a hotel room available anywhere. The houses were built where you had a stable underneath, and the stable is where the animals lived, and they did all their, you know, business, dropped all their stuff um, with the straw. That stuff created a certain level of um, heat. Uh, the heat rose and made the first level nice and warm. That's where Mary and Joseph were existing down there. I mean, did you ever read Leviticus? Leviticus talks about God wanting you to be healthy and clean. 
and this is where they're going to give birth amongst all the animals? Do you think Joseph was proud of this moment? Do you think Joseph could have fought harder for a place? But this is not his child. Hmm? Eh? What child is this? Is Mary really all alone here? Ever thought about that tension in the story? Ever thought about who assisted Mary in giving birth here? Do you think Joseph was like, oh, Mary, you know what? Why don't God just help you and I'll just stay over here with the cows? And, you know, that's not really my child anyway. Or do you think he was right there by her side helping her out? The shepherds turn up and out of the blue, the story of the angels starts to come together and they tell her all this amazing stuff and that's what they needed. Or maybe that's what she needed. So turn with me to the text. Uh, it's in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And if you pull out the Pew Bibles, uh, I want you to turn to page 950. Page 950. Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to look at one verse in particular. Luke chapter 2, verse 19. Second to the last verse of the passage that Kevin read for us. Luke chapter 2, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. It doesn't say that Joseph treasured up all these things, pondering them in his heart. It says that Mary did, right? It says that Mary put all of this into her heart, and she kept a memory of all this stuff because she needed this. Not him. She needed all this stuff. She's the one who was really encouraged right now, in this moment, when the shepherds turn up. That's kind of like a little bit of the technique. Question number two. Question number two inside your worship guide. Is the Christmas story then simply a good word of encouragement? Is that what the Christmas story is? It certainly has a, a kind of a level of encouragement, right, for anyone who thinks that the cards are stacked against them in life. I mean, the Christmas story is a really good one. If you think life is hard and you think you don't know a way forward, then the Christmas story is full of painful difficulty, uncertainty, and they have gone through it. I mean, if you think your road is hard in your life, you have to place yourself into Joseph and Mary's shoes 2,000 years ago and ask yourself, my goodness, that would have been rough. But the story, the story is not just about their lives, which is the temptation of Christmas. Sometimes when we get to Christmas, we think it's all wrapped up in just their story, right? And we receive those kinds of things. Or maybe we think it's wrapped up in what we, we wrap up and we give to each other. We receive this gift, we give it to another person. But the question that we really should be asking about Christmas is this. What child is this? Because when you answer that question, what child is this? you'll start to think about the mission of life differently. And actually, I think it leads right into what our mission gifts really are. Yeah, because whatever you wrap up inside there, and I, and I love Christmas crackers, and I love all the meals, and I love all the parties, and I love all this kind of stuff that comes with Christmas, and the fires, and the songs, and the hymns, and the jingle bells, and everything that comes with Christmas stuff that we actually add peripheral to it. But what child is this? You realize that it's bigger than you and I. December 23, on our final Sabbath, I'm going to be asking you for our final gift for this church here for this year to help us with this. And I said we're going to have four choices, right? So I'm going to give you two 
uh, options that I want you to pick out of these four, uh, these four areas. And these are the four areas that I have for you. We have local church budget, where I'm asking you to think about this, where you've got $120,000 where you as a church can say, hey, I want to help out to raise money towards the local church budget. Or you may say to yourself, you know what, I really want to help out to raise my time towards ministry time that's needed next year. That's where I'm going to give my, my gift is in time. And we're going to break this all down so that it makes it much easier over the next four weeks. Or I'm going to actually help out with the tithe. We're going to help to raise the tithe that we need to raise $300,000. Or I'm going to help out with the renovation. And you just have to pick two of those areas to help out by December 23. Over the next four weeks now, after this week here, I'm going to break each of these areas down and explain why they're important and how they fit into our mission here. But uh, for today, when we collect this offering, as it just passes out on the last hymn, I just want to remind you, They'll just come out. There won't be any announcement. It'll just come up before you. Of course, for Luke, though, for him, the picture is much grander than just painting it locally here. His picture is that Mary and Joseph need to understand, and even the shepherds, that there is something that this story points to which is much bigger than this. So he sets the scene really, really well. He does this really great. He says, right at the beginning, he says, Caesar Augustus exists. And Caesar Augustus declares himself to be savior of the world. Well, get this, there's a real savior coming. The real savior is coming along, and I want you to know that there's another person declaring himself to be savior. Caesar Augustus then says, I'm going to do a census. And he wants to do a census because he wants to establish who's under his rule. But Joseph and Mary now, you have to now go to your hometown. You have to go to your hometown of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem, by the way, is just a little stone's throw away from Jerusalem. Only a thousand people live there. Only a couple of hours walk at a reasonable pace. And on that hill, just a, a two miles away, there's a ton of shepherds that live there. Now, Luke, why? Of all the things you could tell us, are you telling us they had to go to Bethlehem? Are you telling us that the shepherds live there? I mean, John, you didn't tell us any of this. John just began the gospel and says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and boom, he's off on his way. He had nothing to tell us about the nativity. John's like, you know what? I don't need to worry about that. But Luke's like, no, I got to tell you. I got to tell you something important about this. Now, Bethlehem. Watch this. Bethlehem in Hebrew is known as the house of bread. Jesus himself is going to declare himself to be the bread of life, right? And he is born in the town of Bethlehem. Ruth and Boaz, you remember those characters from the First Testament? They were the ones who gleaned on those very same hills. Boaz was the great-grandfather of King David. And King David, this guy, he was actually one of the ancestors of Joseph, who is now the stepfather of Jesus. All of this, by the way, took place on the east side of Bethlehem. Are you with me? Everybody with me? This is all taking place on the east side of Bethlehem. You're thinking, this is like gang warfare. He's on the east side, and I'm on the west side. I don't know how to do the signs, but there's something like this. So there's the east side of Bethlehem, and this is all taking place on the east side of Bethlehem. On the northwest side, wherever there's wheat and barley on the, on the east side, the northwest side are all the sheep. And in Arabic, Bethlehem means house of meat. So when Jesus tells us that he is the bread, and he says, take, eat, this is my body. You ever been in church where they do this? All right. He's bringing the east and the northwest 
hills of Bethlehem together. Do you understand that? He's bringing the Hebrew and the Arabic sides together. He's bringing Isaac and Ishmael together. He's restoring the bridges that have been broken together. Do you understand what's going on here? Communion is a celebration of Jesus healing us. Just in that one simple phrase. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he talks about reconciliation and the nature of Jesus, he says the heart of the gospel and communion is about us actually coming together and celebrating us coming together. The huddle of the Trinity, the purpose of the incarnation, the restoration of God's character. What child is this? Jesus, the restorer of all. Now, let's go back to Luke, Luke chapter 2, verse 14, page 949 now, just the page before in your Bibles, but Luke chapter 2, verse 14. When they hear what the angels are saying to them, what God is saying through the angels, and the message is coming clearly through the angels here, it says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, page 949 in your Bibles. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is what Christmas is supposed to bring to the world, to the broken world that we are. Glory to God in the highest and on earth and peace among those with whom he is pleased. He wants to bring peace. In a world where Caesar Augustus is saying that he is the Roman peace, he is the one in control, Jesus says, no, there is a real savior coming and he is bringing an incredible level of peace, a different type of peace. So God calls on these shepherds to be the first to visit. And these shepherds, my friends, were no ordinary shepherds. They were responsible for supplying the lambs that were needed every day for the sacrifice, morning and evening, every single day, including the festivals and Passover. So they were effectively what I would refer to as uh, the temple uh, shepherds. Um, they were connected to the chief priests every day. They knew the prophecies. They knew some of the teachings inside here. Every single day, they were like preparing these lambs inside here. And in fact, if they prepared the lambs, they would, I don't know if you knew this, but as they prepared the lamb, they would give a lamb to the family at Passover, and they would, the lamb would have to live with the family for four days, right? And as the lamb would live with the family for four days, the priest would then come before you with the lamb, and the priest would ask this question after you had this lamb live with you for four days, and they would say, do you love this lamb, right? And only if you said, yes, I love this lamb, could the sacrifice take place. You had to know this lamb and love this lamb. Now, I want you to connect the story. This is how the technical level works. I want you to connect the story of loving this lamb and knowing this lamb with another character called Peter. Do you see where I'm going with this? You connect the story now with Jesus and Peter early in the morning. This is after Peter has betrayed Jesus, after the resurrection, when Jesus is cooking the fish on the beach on the side there, and Peter recognizes that it could be Jesus, and he jumps out of the boat, and he runs to the shore, and he wants to be accepted, and Jesus waits until all the other disciples are around him as he's cooking the food, and he begins to ask Peter the same question that the priest asks the family, do you love me, which means, do you love the lamb? And only if Peter's willing to say, I do, I accept. Only if we say yes, can we receive the blessing. Only if we say yes to Jesus, can we enjoy the gift. I know there are some of you who are very disconnected from your walk with God. And if your walk with God is just, you're just not humming. 
this Christmas. You just feel like, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to follow him. But you're just like, I don't know why it's not working. Then don't give up today. Take the courage, fill in a connect card, put it in one of the offering altars, and we will connect with you and let us help you on this path today. Talk to one of the elders or the pastors or talk to the person sitting next to you in your row and say, help me. Do not give up today. This is what Luke is trying to get to at all the point. Rich layers under every single one here. The shepherds understood this when they brought the perfect lambs all the way through. They took extra special care of these lambs, making sure they had no scuffs, no damage to them. You know that, the, and this is kind of crazy, you'll, you'll be amazed because what the angel says to the shepherds is just what they did all the time. So in order to prepare these lambs for sacrifice, the shepherds learned that uh, they had to be without blemish to come before the, the sacrifice. And so they learned that what you'd have to do when they were young because they would run around and they could scuff themselves or damage themselves, they did this. They would wrap them in swaddling cloths and lay them in a manger. That's what they did to all the lambs. I kid you not. So now when the angels come and they tell the Messiah has been waiting for, it says that they've been praying for, that they've been searching for, that they've been seeking for, that they've been looking for all of their lives. They've been saying, I have been looking for this Messiah, waiting for this. Their routine they've been going through, they're preparing to lay the manger. They say, they found the real one. They go and they say, and when you find him, he will be wrapped in swaddling cloths, laying in a manger. They're like, duh. Of course he would be, because that's what I've been doing to the lamb every single day. I wrapped them up. Of course, that's who it is. All these years, they see it come together at long last fulfilled in front of their eyes. It was suddenly all worth it. The routine was making sense, and the spiritual practice met its reality. See, Mary and Joseph were all upset, right? The cows were moving during the birth. The town was hostile. All the hotels were full. Caesar Augustus, I mean, he had ordered a census. And a census on this month and this time made them travel. But there's a bigger picture, Mary and Joseph. And it's not about you. It's not about the generation of shepherds who look at each other and say, Ah, oh, this is what we've been doing our entire lives. It's not about them either. It's about this child, because he's so much more. They saw, at long last, the true Lamb of God, and they knew that this child would grow up, and this child would rescue them. And the shepherds learned, they learned this a long time ago, that this lamb would, sacrificed, would be sacrificed. Now, here's the interesting insight. Shepherds understood that the high mortality rate amongst the lambs um, was very difficult to get a, a mother to actually adopt one of the lambs as part of her own. And so they would take the blood of one of the lambs and sprinkle it on the, on the lamb, and it wouldn't be accepted. The baby lamb wouldn't be accepted. So the only way they could actually have it accepted is if they took a baby lamb and washed the baby lamb fully in the blood. And when the, the lamb was washed fully in the blood, the mother would actually embrace the lamb as her own. It was adopted fully when it was washed fully. Being covered by the blood of the lamb became a powerful symbol of full acceptance. You understand this? It became a symbol of full acceptance. And this was common knowledge. So, at the time when John the Baptist, right, and he's standing on the riverside there, 
and Jesus comes forward to him. And he, did, he looks and he sees Jesus. He doesn't say, uh, behold, um, I, I have no idea who you are. He doesn't say, behold, uh, uh, a stranger wants to be baptized. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who will be sacrificed. Because the symbol behind this, he knows deeply inside this, this baby who was wrapped in swaddling cloths will grow up and the sacrifice will go through, and it will fulfill everything that it was supposed to do. This is what happened. And get this, the temple would always have the sacrifice take place on Passover at 3 p.m., and Jesus died on the cross at 3 p.m. It all fell into place exactly as it was supposed to. Whose child is this? Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Jesus was moving the house of meat into the house of bread when he said he is the bread of life. Jesus moved us from the temple to the table, which is why we celebrate communion. And we're going to do communion. We're going to celebrate communion here in a few weeks' time. And, I, and here's the thing, my friends. I'm going to talk about this in a few weeks' time as well, because some of us, when we celebrate communion, we celebrate just the bread, and we celebrate just the juice, and we don't celebrate the foot washing because we feel that's kind of the icky-wicky part, right? We're like, well, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very special communion person. I take part in the bread and the juice and... The feet, that's for other people. I'm going to explain in the next couple of weeks why we actually take part in all three elements of that. But, but I want you to understand this. Communion, Jesus himself said this. It's a ritual and, and, and a practice that you do that I, Jesus says, I will not celebrate until I see you again. When I see you again, we're going to celebrate together. Can you imagine that? I mean, the shepherds who are wrapping these sheep up every single time, and then eventually they come and they see the real Lamb of God. I mean, when that type meets the anti-type, that kind of blows their mind. This is what's going to happen to us when we see Jesus as well. It is going to be wrapped up in a miracle for us when we suddenly get to celebrate that meal with Jesus inside there. So, our final question for this morning is this. What kind of shepherd should we be? What kind of shepherd should we be? In my office, I have lots of books on leadership. And on my iBooks and in my Kindle, I have lots of other books, lost count of all those books, and I devour them for insights, right? To become a better leader, trying to understand the dynamics of what it is to be a leader. What moral and ethical responsibilities come with the influence? It's a very difficult question to process all the time. And how does it relate to leadership in the Bible? I'm constantly balancing those out. I've taught leadership seminars, I've written courses for leadership dynamics, and, uh, and I've shared lots of illustrations on leadership lessons that I've learned, including for every single thing that I've learned about leadership, the four or five mistakes that I've made in order to be able to learn the one, one that I actually did do well. So I make a four or five mistakes in order to be able to do one that's good. Of course, inside that tension in the Bible, there is another approach that I think we miss all the time. Because from the very beginning, there was only meant to be one leader and one follower. The leader is Jesus, and we are the followers. And when we follow Jesus, that's when we experience leadership freedom. So as I shared last week, when we get to the place where we admit that we actually need each other, we are better humans, right? And when we get to the place where we admit that we need Jesus, then we become the daughters and sons of God, and we are liberated humans, and we have freedom. And this is very difficult for us. But the Bible shows us that we have rejected this model over and over and over again. We did this in the Garden of Eden. 
where we didn't want Jesus to actually rule our lives in the Garden of Eden. And we said, no, I'm going to choose my own path inside this. We rejected leadership when we came to the promised land and said, no, I don't think we can trust you, God, to take this promised land. I think we'll just go our own way inside here. We rejected the leadership when God gave us the judges and said, no, we don't like the way the judges will do this ourselves. We rejected the leadership of Jesus when he sent us the prophets and said, no, we don't want to do this. We rejected it even when we actually had our kings as well. And we said, no, we'll actually have our own kings as well. And we did this all the way up to the cross, right? Because when you get to the cross, they actually declared right there on that courtyard, we have no king but Caesar, right? Hence, we have always talked about the fact that this is the struggle that we have in our lives. So, the difficulty that we've actually faced in our entire lives is this, that I think Peter, when he was confronted with leadership questions is this, Jesus said to him, I don't need you to lead the sheep. I need you to feed the sheep. Do you see the difference? He never said to him, lead the sheep. I said, I just need you to feed the sheep. And my problem is, is that I think we're always constantly trying to lead people. And God said, I want you to feed them. I want you to actually look after them. I want you to actually know them. So when you come to church, and you sit down in church, and you sit down maybe in the same seats that you do every single week because you self-declared those seats as yours, <laughs> or you go to your Bible study classes, or you go to your connect groups, and you notice that somebody's not there. Do you ever think to yourself, I wonder if they're on vacation. I wonder if they're sick. I wonder where they are. And do you reach out to them? Because if you did, you'd find out whether they were missing, whether they were sick, whether they needed some soup this week, or whether they were just on holiday somewhere. Because if you stay connected to each other, you'd actually look after each other, you'd become the community that actually fed each other inside there. I was talking to a man at church the other day, a brother, a follower, a warrior, right? Uh, he's been at this church for many, many years. He was sharing a story with me how uh, he was gonna help a friend. And this friend uh, needed to go to surgery, and uh, this friend had nobody. And so he said, I'll take you to surgery. And I said, that's, that's really nice of you. And, uh, and so he said, yeah, I took him to surgery. It was really good. He had nobody take him home, so I took him home as well. So then I said to this man, I said, well, uh, who do you call in this church, like if you had to go to surgery? And he said, uh, well, that's a good question. And we kind of went silent for a moment there. It was just a pause. And I was like, why, why are we pausing? Because then he said, I actually, I, I, I wouldn't call on anyone. I said, you wouldn't call on anyone because you, you don't have anyone? He said, no, I, I don't have anyone. You've been in this church 30 plus years and you have no one because you've never asked or because nobody's willing? There are loads of people in this church who'd be willing to take you. There'd be loads of people in this church who would love to do that for you. I know loads of people in this church who would be willing to do that for you. Your pride stops you from asking? What's the, what's the matter that you wouldn't have the courage to, to just open yourself up and ask for a little bit of help and say, be with me, come with me and pray with me before I go into surgery. Let me know that I need some help. Let me look after each other. I don't know. We have so many excuses all the time. What child is this? Jesus, restorer and reconciler of our communities. So I got a challenge for you. 
I've got a challenge for you this Christmas. And this is this for this week. Every week I've got a different challenge for you. So this week, if, if you can do this challenge and you have the courage to share with me, then please do, all right? You don't have to share with me. You just have to try the challenge, all right? <laughs> but here's the challenge. Be peace and make peace, all right? Be peace and make peace this week. And I know it sounds nice, but you know it's hard. <laughs> All right. Be peace. Think of things that you can do that are proactive in creating peace in your life and amongst those around you. All right. Um, sometimes I sit down with couples just when uh, we're working on fixing their marriage. Right. But uh, wouldn't it be great if you were proactive in your marriage? You have to go see your doctor every year for a health check. What if you did a health check in your marriage every year? You don't have to come and see me to do that. I can send you a link online and you can take just this, uh, this test online as a couple and, and you just do this test and it just gives you the results and you can sit down and say, all right, let's do this test together and let's just see where our marriage is today in 2017. Let's just talk about where our marriage is today in 2017, benchmark it. Let's go see where it is next year in 2018 and benchmark it. Let's just do a health check on our marriage. Let's be proactive about making sure our marriage is healthy and growing every single year. Let's be proactive instead of waiting until now I think there could be something we should address inside there. Think about your faith. Think about what you know in the Word of God and ask yourself, are you growing in this or have you become stale in this? Make peace with God. Make peace with each other, with love, without any strings attached. You have people in your life that you know that you have antagonisms with. Be proactive with them and talk to them. You have unspoken things that you have not addressed with each other. Rifts in your family and in your friendships. You've got things that you've got to say on your chest and just say them or deal with them and take them to God. But just make peace this Christmas. Wouldn't it be great if this Christmas we actually were able to make peace and be peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? For they shall inherit the kingdom of God. And that would be a great Christmas season, wouldn't it? If we lived as a community that took the love that God laid on us and followed through. Man, we would sing the first Noel with, uh, with renewed spirits, wouldn't we? We would sing with uh, renewed hearts because we would know then that Jesus has called us to something far, far greater. So I'm encouraging you to what? Be peace and make peace. God bless you.